Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, I want to welcome everyone to the exchange again this morning. Listen, if you haven't done so, go ahead and take a moment and check in. Uh, all those that are still watching live, we're so glad that you, you joined us live. And uh, feel free to share this so that uh, we can kind of let people know who we are and what we're about and what's going on here at the exchange. Some exciting things are happening. And uh, even though there's a lot of gloom and doom or, or whatever you want to call it happening in the world today, listen, my spirit is anything but gloom and doom. I believe every day, when I wake up every day, I believe, and I speak this over my family and over myself and over this church, I believe this is the greatest days ever, right? And, uh, and, and so if you come in, into this place this morning and you want to gloom and doom and poor me and, you know, uh, whatever, that's not me. That's not me because that's not what I believe uh, should be the, the word of, of children of the Lord. Amen. And so I want to continue this morning. We've been in a series called How to Be Brave. Everybody say, How to Be Brave. And we're going to continue that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles with me. If not, we'll put it up here on the screens for you so that you can follow along to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Pastor Kevin shared this the last couple weeks. Uh, I said last week I challenged you to have your kids start to memorize this because this is a verse that is life-changing if we ever begin to manifest and live the power of this verse. It says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. Everybody say good report. If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, if I could find anything that is praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. Meditate on. That means think of the things that are lovely, that are true, that are praiseworthy. Think of the things that are of a good report. And he says, dwell on. Think about. Get these things in your mind. And you know how songs get stuck in your mind sometimes? You know, have you ever done that? Like somebody will walk by, or I'll be singing a song, I can't figure out where I heard it, and then you'll realize you heard it in the mall, you're just walking through, and it was playing in some store. Listen, if you're going to get something stuck in your head, Paul's saying you need to get the good things, the praiseworthy things, the pure things, the lovely things, the things of a good report. He says, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and you saw in me. In other words, I did those things, and he's saying, these do. Do these things. You saw me emulate. You saw me imitate that kind of lifestyle. And he's saying, do these things, and the God of peace. Everybody say peace. 
peace will be with you. Isn't that a powerful verse? Isn't that such a power? If, if, if our kids grew up knowing this and, and they spent their whole life knowing the power of what Paul is writing about right here, I think that that verse right there single-handedly could change the course of our children's life, right? Thinking and dwelling on those good things. So today we're going to go a little bit further in our series, How to Be Brave. And uh, I want to focus on a couple of words that we just read, and those words are this, good report. One more time, say good report. Now remember, if you, if you preach with me a little bit, I go fast. I get real fast when you preach with me. And so you just stay with me here. When, when I was preaching to the camera, you guys noticed that I went a little long because I felt really alone, and, and so I just went all day. So stay with me here. Touch the person next to you and say, good report. If you don't know the person next to you, don't touch them because it's social distancing. But you can look at them across the aisle and you can just whisper, good report, if you want to. Listen, in our world today, we are surrounded by bad news, right? I mean, it, I, I walk into the house all the time and I know it drives Shelly crazy because she's trying to gain some information because we have some businesses and we're trying to have some knowledge what's going on and She'll walk in, and I'll sit down for five minutes. She's walking news. I'm like, turn it off. I can't handle. I can't handle the news. I can't handle all the bad news over and over and over. But listen, God wants his people to be people of a good report in a world that is full of bad news. Amen? Isn't that possible? Psalms chapter 112 Verse 6, Scripture says this. The psalmist writes, Surely the righteousness will never be shaken. In other words, we want to be a people that are built on a solid foundation. We want to be a stable people, a people with a firm foundation, the kind of people that are anchored in something that is deeper than just our emotions, that is deeper than what the world is trying to offer us. He goes on and he says, they will be remembered forever. Verse number seven. They will have no fear of what? Bad news. They will have no fear of bad news. I'm telling you that you can actually get into a place, and that's our goal as the exchange, is to build a church full of people that actually get to a place in their relationship with God that they can have no fear of bad news. He goes on, he says, their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Somebody say amen. So I want to focus for just a few minutes this morning on verse number seven. He says, they will have no fear of bad news. No fear of bad news. Listen, I found out that there's a lot of people who are weak, not because of the bad news that they receive, because of the bad news that they think they're going to receive, right? Come on, you know somebody like that. Don't be pointing, don't be nudging your neighbor and say, but it's not the fear of bad news, it's the fear of what might be. It's not actually what they receive, it's what they could possibly be receive and so they have this fear and it weakens them but but the, he writes it's the fear of bad news sometimes 
there are certain people who can create a fear of bad news. Do y'all know any of those people? Um, have you ever had just a moment where you feel panicked or overwhelmed with an emotion like something bad? And you, I mean, it just consumes you. And then after a little while, you find out reality sets in or whatever. And you find out that it wasn't what you thought. You know what I'm talking about? Man, come on. That's got to happen to more people than just two of us, right? Okay, that happens. If you're a, a parent of a teenager, um, some of you got teenagers gone and out of the house, whatever. But when your teenager's out at night and you're not real positive where they are, and your phone rings, and maybe you've dozed off you're watching TV. This happens to me all the time, all the time. You're watching TV, your phone rings, it's 11 o'clock, and you look, and my caller ID says baby girl. And that's what Jenica is in my phone, baby girl. It's 11 o'clock. And I'm thinking in my mind, she got off at 10, she got off at 10.30. Did she get off at 10? Did she get, is she calling? She had a wreck? Is, is this the police calling? They have her phone? Right, come on, anybody? Is this just me? Am I the only one that ever does this? And, and, and you wake up and you just have this fear of bad news that maybe something bad happened. And that's why I tell Jenica, listen, I ain't worried about a curfew. I trust you. What I'm worried about is communication. If you're going to be out till 11, 12, just call me and say, hey, Dad, everything's cool. I'm here and blah, blah, blah. Give me a heads up so that I don't have this anticipation that maybe something bad is happening. Um. Have you ever known somebody, and some of you may be too young, but I think most of the crowd in here is going to know what I'm talking about this morning. But do you all remember a time before cell phones when we all just had landlines and before caller ID? Anybody? Do you all remember that? Oh, man. <laughs> Nowadays, it's easy to scream phone calls. In fact, AT&T has an app where they just take half my phone calls away. They don't even let my phone ring anymore. It's just, they, it's a spam alert, and they just take all these spam. That's awesome. But back in the day when I was growing up, and the phone rang, everybody looked at each other. Like, are you expecting a call? Are you expecting a call? I don't know. And you look at the phone as if the phone was going to tell you something. And you look at the phone, and you go, should I answer it? No, don't answer it. It could be a salesperson. Could be a bill collector, could be one of those, or could be somebody we just don't want to talk to, right? And and so you wouldn't answer the phone. Listen, so I do do roofing uh, as one of my side jobs, and I have a customer currently at this moment. They don't have a cell phone, they have a landline, and they don't have caller ID. So every time I call their phone, this is a true story, true story. Every time I call their phone, I know it's going to ring, and then I'm going to hear this. Please leave a message after the beep. That's what I'm hearing. And I have to say, hey, this is Jared. I was just calling to, and then you hear, hey, Jared, Jared, hey, okay. And that's how they screen their phone calls. And uh, when I finish building their roof, I'm going to buy them caller ID. That's what I'm going to do. But what it is, is just an anticipation of fear that maybe something bad is going to happen. Or maybe there's a certain name that when you get an email, you see that name pop up on your email, immediately it goes into negative. Uh, it's just fear, 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 fear. It's just the fear of bad news. And uh, we all have had that. We all have that. I remember um, there, there are times, even as, as a pastor here, when we go through seasons of bad, and I think 
anytime somebody calls, it's going to be bad news because I have just had wave after wave of wave of bad news that I just become accustomed to it, and it started to erode my faith, and it began to erode my foundation. So then anybody, anytime, when they would call or text, I just kind of immediately, un- unconsciously would go into this place of, Oh, great. I mean, Shelly can attest to this because I would say it. She would say, what, why are they calling? I was I don't know. Something bad, I'm sure. Because that's my life right now. Everything is bad. Okay, I guess I won't be transparent with you guys anymore. No more transparency. <laughs> I'm playing. I just want to have fun. Oh, pastors just want to have fun. But in those seasons, you know, you answer your phone and you deal with stuff and it just begins to get to you and you get to a place where you almost wish you could just put a do not disturb, you know. You could just stop because you just don't want to hear any more bad news. But nine times out of ten, to be honest, when when I would answer my phone, it wasn't bad news. But it was the fear, again, of it being bad news. Shelly used to have this habit. It happened all the time. But she would say, hey, babe, I need to talk to you about something. Ugh. Ugh. Don't you just hate that? I remember one time we were, I was, uh, you just, your whole body just goes into like clinch mode, right? I remember one time Ernest and uh, Ernie and Kimmy were living in Fort Worth and they were fixing to move back to uh, Houston after he had finished some school. And I went down there to help them move. And on the way back from helping them move, we had been moving all day long. I was tired, and I was driving a U-Haul back full of their furniture to Houston. And right as soon as we start leaving Fort Worth, my phone rings. Caller ID is Shelly. No big deal. It's my wife. I don't expect bad news when she calls all the time. But <laughs> so I answer the phone. Hey, babe, what are you doing? y'all finish? Yeah, we finished. We're on our way back. Okay, well, listen, when you get home, there's something we need to talk about. Come on, guys, back me up on this. Come on. I need some guys to back me up on this. You can't say that. Ladies, you can't say that. When we're on a trip or, or I, you know, I wonder sometimes if it's just to ruin the trip. Like, you're afraid that I'm having a good time, and you just want to ruin the trip. And she would say, but she says on the phone, she says, we need to talk when you get home. Well, about what is my reply? She says, we'll just talk about when you get home. I don't want to talk about when you get home. I want to talk about it right now while I'm driving on 45. Well, we'll talk about it when you get home. I don't want to talk about it when we get home. Now I'm getting upset. Don't get mad. I just want to talk to you. I want to talk to you face to face. What'd you do? What'd you do? What happened? Who did what? Who got fired? Who got whatever? Did you back your car into something? Did you hit somebody? Is anybody dead? What'd you do? And she's like, I just want to talk about it face to face. I don't want to talk about it face to face. I want to talk about it while I'm driving to you all. That sounds like a great time to talk about it. And I've got my buddy sitting next to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is killing me. And so I have to wait till we get home. So now... The remainder of the three hours to Houston were terrible, terrible. I'm thinking of every situation I'm about to walk back into. It's going to be awful. Who did what? I, I can't. I mean, you're imagining everything. 
Like, did the dog die? Did the dog get ran over? Did it have parvo? Who drowned in the pool? Because we had a pool at the time. Did somebody drown? What's going on? Is she leaving me? Is she leaving me? She has postpartum because we just had a baby. Our baby's 10 years old. She's freaking out with all kinds of emotions. I mean, our baby's 10 months old. She's freaking out with emotions. So that's got to be it. She's about to leave me. I mean, your mind play goes through everything. I get to the house. I walk in. I got my bag. And I was like, hey. She's like, hey, what's going on? I was like, nothing. What's going on with you? And she, like, wants to hug. I don't want to hug, you know. I just want to sit down on a couch because what's going on? And so I sat down on the couch, and she sits down so that we can have this real formal, yeah, she's about to unload. I sit down on the recliner. My dog's running around excited to see me, and she says, well, does Peyton look cute? Yeah, she's adorable. She's 10 weeks old, just cues a button. What do you want to talk about? Does Peyton look cute? Peyton is just, she's God's gift to beauty. What do you want to talk about? She says, does she look cute? Do you like what she's wearing? And I start to look at her shirt, and it says, big sister on her shirt. She's 10 weeks old. There's, to be a big sister has to be a. And I looked at Peyton, and I looked at Shelly, and I was like, <laughs> and she goes, is that possible? That's exactly what I asked her doctor. She said, oh, it's very possible. It's very, <laughs> after you have baby, it's very fertile, very fertile. <laughs> well, you didn't tell me that. I've only had one, Okay. And uh, this was the picture. This was Peyton when I found out that we were pregnant. That is how little Peyton was. And that's why Peyton and Parker are so close. But, you know, she didn't have to lead me on five hours. She could have just dropped it, not even called me, or just said, hey, when are you coming home? I'll be home about four or five hours. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Or I miss you. Something, anything like that, right? But she has to lead with, well, we need to talk when you get home. Amen. Ladies, I'm going to have an altar call, call this time. If you could get some sad music playing, I'm just playing. But listen, y'all know what I'm talking about? Sometimes that's what we lead with, and it's that fear of bad news. And, and it's like, hey, babe, we need to talk. We need to talk about what? We need to talk about what? And I just get intense. It's nothing bad. I just wanted to know what you want for dinner tonight. Well, then let's lead with, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? You know, let's try that and not lead with, hey, we need to talk when you get home. About dinner, just lead with dinner. Hey, be thinking about dinner on your way home. Anyway, I, I feel like I got on a really big soapbox here. <laughs> but sometimes, let me give you a couple more phrases that kind of make you maybe clinch up. But when I was a kid, it was when they would say, all right, report cards come out this week. <laughs> that was a bad one for me. That was a bad one for me because, again, your mind begins to wonder. And you start thinking about the last six weeks, or back then it was six weeks. I don't know what it is now. Now it's like several months or something. Um, but 
back then it was six weeks, and you start thinking about all those six weeks, and did you do enough? Did you see enough? Are you going to still be able to play football or basketball? Are you ever going to see sunlight again? You know, are you going to have to start riding a bus again to school? That was my life, because when I get in trouble, they'd take my car keys away, and I had to ride a bus. Have you ever been a 17-year-old riding a bus with a bunch of three-year-olds and five-year-olds or whatever? That was weird. And so you just start, your mind goes there, right? Um, uh, here's another one. The boss wants to see you. Y'all have one of those? The, oh, man. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. You immediately go to bad, right? You immediately, when I, was, when I had a, a Bible school, master's commission, teaching can attest, I don't know how this happened exactly because I w- am a nice guy. I've always been a nice guy. But we would have new students move in. They would move from all over Texas, some, uh, some of them from other states. They would move to our city, and they would come into our Bible school, and all of a sudden there was this genuine fear of me and my office. My office was like dead zone, okay? If somebody got called to my office, they felt like it, it was dead zone. You know, they were, so I would have to ask people, hey, come talk to me for a second, and I would turn around, they're walking down the hall just like sweating. And I, I don't know how I got that way, but that's the way it was. And that's the way some people dwell on it because it's just a fear of bad news. Some people are just constantly pessimistic and they focus on bad reports and they create this undercurrent of dread in their lives. And, and no matter what's going on, you automatically go to negative and just the littlest things begin to set you off. So today we're going to talk about the fear of bad news and what to do with that bad news. So we're in a series on how to be brave, and Paul said to think about things that are of good report, right? He says, think of the things that are of good report. And then the psalmist goes on, and he writes that we should have no fear of bad news, That is so much easier said than done. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. And you can can underline the misspelling because I tried to correct it this morning, but the slide was already made. So everybody, let's go ahead and point out the misspelling. But the report you believe is much more important than the news you receive. Now think about that. Not the not receive, not the misspelling. Think about the poor report that you believe is much more important than the news you receive. When I was in Wichita Falls as a youth pastor, we did this program called Hell House, and it became a really big deal. I mean, we had, we would have buses outside, uh, charter buses. We had lines of people out the door like some, there were some nights it was like a four or five hour wait to just get into the tour. Once they get into the building, they go up to the waiting room, and it was like another two-hour wait inside the waiting room. It was such a big deal. And it was such a big deal. I remember the first year that we did it, I had uh, we stirred up a lot of stuff, a lot of noise in town. And uh, all of a sudden, I started getting phone calls from uh, the news stations. Hey, is this Pastor Jerry? You the one that's doing this? Yeah, that's me. It's me. And they would say, well, we want to come down and do a story on on what's going on. This is awesome. Absolutely. Come on. In fact, I'm going to call your your other news stations, the competitors here in town, your rivals, and I'm going to get them up here. 
I'm calling Ron Burgundy, you name them. And I'm like, listen, hey, we're doing a story. And so ultimately what happened was one night I did a media night. Uh, I did three tours just for media. And it was all the news stations in town, several radio personalities. It was all media. And I took them through these tours. And, man, I had my script ready and everything that I was going to say. And they go through and and. For the last two or three nights, we had had protesters out there protesting us. And so we did this before the media got there. But I, I talked to my prayer team, and I said, look, when you see protesters out here, take them coffee. Go fix their signs if they break. Take them chairs if they want to sit down. You know, let's just love them. Well, when the media gets there and they see us serving the protesters, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. We're the best. We're so holy. We're so righteous. Everybody's going to love us. And. And so I'm so excited. This is going to be so positive. But what I've learned and what you probably know is good stories don't always sell, right? Positive stories don't necessarily drive ratings, okay? The good reporters, the big reporters, they want dirt. They're looking for a scandal. They're looking for the, something that they can really, really exploit, right? And so I, I go through, and they take some live footage, and, and they're interviewing me. And, man, I'm quoting Scripture like I'm Jesus. I mean, I am just, I am everything that they say, I've got an answer for it. This is my answer, and I was ready. And, man, they're videoing me, and they are so nice to me. They're being so kind. And we're just having the best time. We're friends. I'm inviting them to play golf. And so I know that everything has changed, and what's going to happen is now they're going to put this story out there, and everybody in Wichita Falls is going to see how good we are and how much we love people and how great of a church we are, and everybody's going to want to be a part of our church. That's what I'm thinking. Now, it was wrong. My pastor, he told me this. He, he always said this, but he said a couple things. He said, you need to understand something. First of all, there's no such thing as bad publicity. He said, so get that in your head. And I was like, okay. And he said, so all publicity is good publicity. He believed that. And uh, it didn't matter if it's good or bad. Any publicity is good publicity because they're getting us out there. They're getting people talking about us. And now people are going to know where we are, when we're doing, what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And so there's no such thing as, as bad publicity. So let's get that out there. Yes. All right. Awesome. And he says, and the second thing you need to know. Um, is that uh, this interview and the story that they put out there is not going to make you look very good. Well, I mean, I did really good. You did good, Pastor. I mean, he gave an interview too. And I was like, you did good. I did good. He's like, they're not going to make you look real good. And I was like, I mean, we were great. And he said, they're not going to make you look real good because they never want you to look real good. The story that you gave them is not the whole story that they're going to tell. The story that they're going to tell has actually kind of already been written. So they're going to take the truth of what you said, and they're going to fill in some holes with some things that they think and their perception, and they're going to mix that truth, and it's going to turn a little bit false, and they're going to, to manipulate and change the narrative of the story. Now, some of what they say is going to be true, but some of it's going to be false. I don't think so, Pastor. I don't think so, man. We're friends. I told them good, all good stuff. They can't say. I did not say anything that they could turn negative. And I was wrong. 
was wrong. They would just put like two statements, two, like one sentence. They would say, so we asked the youth pastor, blah, blah, blah. And he said, and they would say one line and then cut it off. They didn't get to my scripture text and my point that I was making for that one incredible line. They just started twisting and manipulating and they backfilled the story. And they were looking for a scandal. They were looking for dirt. Now, they said some good things, but, man, they said some things that just was terrible. And, in fact, I have like seven or eight VHS tapes of all these stories that were recorded back in the day that uh, just have reminded me. In fact, Seventeen Magazine even got involved in writing some of this story and it didn't, you know, everything that I said to Seventeen Magazine was awesome. But I didn't realize they were going to go to the opposing side and get their side too and really just try to negate everything that I said. But that's the way they do it. They take it because the story that they're going to tell is really already written because they have a, a parameter that they need to go by and it needs to have dirt. It needs to have skin. It can't be all fluffy and good. And so can I tell you this morning that you may not realize it, but you all are an investigative reporter. Every one of us, when we wake up in the morning, we're going out and we're, we're gathering evidence and we're collecting evidence every day. But before, that you, before you even start your day, I want to remind you this, that your story is already written. Okay, before you start going out and you start watching the news or you start hearing all the negativity or, or you start seeing that hours are getting cut or jobs are getting cut or, or the economy is going into the tank or whatever is happening, before you even go out and start gathering evidence, you need to understand that your story has already been written. Now, to explain this to you, I want to take you back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story of Moses. When Moses was taking God's people, the children of Israel, over into the promised land, uh, they have to go, and they're going to have to defeat some enemies. And so Moses, he sent out some reporters to go bring a story back to him. This happens in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 17. It says, when Moses sent them out to explore Canaan. He said, go up through Negev and on into the hill country and see what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or maybe they're weak or few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? And the trees, are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. In other words, what I need you to do is I need you to come back and bring us a sneak peek of what it is that we're fighting for. When we, when we walk into this promised land, we need to know, help me stir up the people, you know. I need, tell me something, bring some, some news back. But I want you to notice what Moses does not command them to investigate. He tells them, he says, go look at the land, look at the cities, the walls. Do they have walls? How's the soil? Tell us about the trees and the fruit and all that. But he never tells them to investigate whether they are strong enough or not to do what God has called them to do. 
Okay? He never asked them to size themselves up and see if they can do it. He tells them, go size up the situation, but he never tells them to size themselves up. Because God knows that when you start sizing yourself up against the opposition, that we always retreat in fear. We always let something get into our head, something get into our mind, and we start to doubt, and we start to pull back, and we retreat in fear. Now, you should always size up your situation. That's smart. That's, that's intelligent. Uh, you don't go into a business opportunity without sizing up a situation, right? You just don't wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm going to start a daycare. Well, you have to actually know how to start a daycare. You have to have some business sense. you got to know what you're doing. You just don't say, well, I love kids, and so I'm just going to be brave and step out. No, you're going to be broke. Because you have to be smart. You have to have business sense. You have to understand. You have to size up the situation before you go into it. Moses tells them, he says, size up the situation. But he never told them to size up themselves. You see, God says this. He says that we are to magnify the Lord, magnify him in our worship. And to magnify God, it doesn't mean that we are making God bigger because you know you can't make God bigger. You can't take a magnifying glass and make God bigger. But what it's talking about, it means that you are bringing him into a closer visibility. Okay, you're bringing God into closer visibility. You start to see how big God is. And so when you start walking into a situation and you start having seeing problems and you start seeing opposition and you and all the negative starts coming and the doubt starts coming what you have to do is magnify God bring God into closer visibility so that you can understand how big God is because all of you should know that the size of God compared to any circumstance any problem that you ever face is nothing God is so much bigger He's so much greater and so much stronger. But sometimes we have such a skewed visual of where God and who God is that our problems are so big and so great. So we're talking about the report you believe is much more important than the news you receive. And that is important to know because the report that you believe will determine the future that you experience. Okay? The report that you believe will determine the future that you experience. How about that? Hmm? Isn't that pretty much the way it goes? The way life goes? It, whatever you begin to believe, that begins to become reality, and you begin to live that out. I want to show you in the book of Numbers, God's people, they begin to believe the wrong report. Numbers chapter 13, verse 21. So they went up and they, they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through Negev and they came to Hebron where Amman, Haman, and Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak lived. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off the branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole 
Now, I don't know where you're from, but when I was growing up, my grandma in Lubbock, Texas, they had a grapevine. They had a really big backyard. They lived in a cul-de-sac, and their backyard was divided into two halves. And in between the halves, they had a chain-link fence, and they had a grapevine that grew on this chain-link fence. And, man, I loved going out there and picking grapes off that grapevine, just playing outside and just eating grapes. You're just walking over there and eating grapes. It was awesome. But I have never had to use a pole between me and somebody else to carry a cluster of grapes from my grandma's vine. It says, two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they spent 40 days exploring the land. And as far as we can tell from what we've read so far, this has been a good trip. Right? This has been a great trip. Verse 26 says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they, what? Listen, they reported. Everybody say reported. They reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, up until this point, this is all good, right? If they're giving them a report and they're showing the fruit of the land, we know the fruit was incredible. It took two men to carry a cluster of grapes. So this is awesome. They're saying, look at the blessing. Look at the fruit that grows in the land. Look at what God has given us. Look at these grapes. Here is the proof of God's promise to us. God promised us all these things, and this is the proof. This is incredible. And every week... As your pastor, as we stand up here and as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility to show you and teach you. Look at the grapes. Don't you see this story? Look at what Jesus did for us. Don't you get that it was enough that what Jesus did on the cross for you was enough? Everybody nod your head with me. It was enough when Jesus went to the cross. Wasn't it awesome? And as, our, as your pastor, that's what we get to proclaim. And when the, these men returned to Moses and to God's people with the grapes, the grapes represented God's reality. Every Sunday morning, that's the goal of, from, of this pulpit, that we preach God's reality, God's promise to you. And God's promise to you is a reality that we should live in every single day the reality that God was giving them but what they say next represents their perspective it's God's reality versus their perspective I want you to know today that your experience your perspective that you experience your perspective Whatever you begin to believe or think in your own mind, that becomes the reality and the experience that you live in. I see this all the time. It's the perception. Whatever you begin to perceive to be true, you begin to live that out as if it were true. 
and it becomes your reality, but it's not God's reality. Guys, we don't experience our reality. We experience our perception, our perspective of reality. You can be carrying around grapes on your shoulders and so worried about the giants in the land that you never actually get to enjoy what God gave you. You miss it. You miss the whole point. Verse number 27. It says, we went into the land to which you sent us. And it does, it does flow. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, everybody say but. Mm, but the people. See, the promise is true. We're showing you proof. It, it does, it flows with milk and honey. And here's the grapes. But the people. But the people who live there, they are powerful. That's perspective, right? That's perspective. They didn't experience that reality. That's just their perspective of what they saw. Now they see the grapes. That's God's reality, but their perspective of the people. These people are powerful. Would they see them like lifting weights in the garage? I mean, were they doing CrossFit? Are they doing their P90X or whatever out Outside the walls of Jericho, I don't know. But for some reason, they said, man, they're powerful, and their cities are fortified, and they're very large. That kind of has to sound strange when you're telling God, who is so powerful, how powerful your enemies are, right? When you're telling God, who is so powerful, who is all-powerful, how powerful your problem is, right? We say that sounds funny, but yet we do it all the time. We, we try to convince God of how dire our situation is, God. It is so bad. And we say this to this all-powerful God. And he goes on, he says, We even saw the descendants of Anak there. <laughs> the Amalekites... They live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. This is terrible. This is terrible. All the ites live up there. So Caleb, Caleb begins to speak up. Caleb can't take anymore, right? He was one of the 12. Caleb was one of the 12 spies that went out to kind of get a report. Now, there were two of the 12 that came back, and they had a good report. They saw the good things. So it's, it's two, 2 to 10 ratio here. And, and that's kind of the way it goes with us, really, isn't it? It's kind of a 10 to 2 ratio of the good of bad thoughts versus the good thoughts. We, we really dwell on the negative. We hold to the negative. We immediately kind of accidentally, unconsciously jump into the negative first, uh, kind of glass half empty type of responses. And, and, and Caleb, he speaks up and he tells them, we can do this. Okay, but there's 10 of them that are saying, we can't do this. There's two of them going, we can do this. And then this story, there are 10 spies that come back talking about the giants. Everybody say giants. But there's two spies that come back talking about the grapes. Everybody say grapes. There's 10 spies that come back talking about the problems. Everybody say problems. But there's two spies that come back talking about the promises. Everybody say promises. Okay, you've got to understand that they all saw the same 
thing. They all had the same experience, but their perspectives were skewed. Their perspectives were different. Now, I want you to not think about the spies that are in this passage, but the spies that you have in your own mind, in your own life. Because let me tell you, you've got them, and I've got them. There are spies that come in, and they try to rob us of God's reality and God's plan for our life. They come in, and they, they begin to pull forward the negative thoughts they begin to pull on our fears. They begin to pull on what we consider as our weaknesses. And they begin to drive us into these, these desolate places where we begin to be so bound by fear that we can't even function. And we have these spies that begin to rob us in our own mind. Verse number 30, Caleb speaks up and says, Then Caleb silenced the crowd before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. For we can certainly do it. We should because we can. We should because we can. We should absolutely go in there because we can. That's what Caleb believed. That's what Joshua believed. But there were 10 others on the other side of this argument that didn't believe they could. We can't, so we won't. We can't. We know we can't do it. We can't, so we won't. But the spies that went on that mission that said we can't, so we won't. Listen, if you continue to read that story, you find out this. Every one of them died in the desert. Not one of them saw the promised land. Listen, I want to challenge you this morning that for some of you, your faith is dying in the desert. Your hopes are dying in the desert, not because of your problem, but because of the way that you are looking at your problem. The way that you're perceiving your problem, you're looking at it all wrong. That's the only problem you have, is you're looking at your problem all wrong. He goes on in verse 31, and it says, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Wait a minute. Now, let's, let's try to put this in context. Let's try to think about what they're saying here. Okay? These are the same people who just escaped from Egypt not too long ago. And they ran for their life with Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies chasing them down. And they watched God peel back the waters in their escape. I don't know about you. But I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, had I ever experienced that with my own eyes, I don't know that I would ever believe that there was anything that my God could not do. You with me on this? And all of a sudden, these guys are talking about, wait a minute, they're stronger than we are. We can't go. They're big. They're strong. 
They're going to destroy us. When, 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 did God, when did God or Moses ask them to measure themselves up against the other people to see if they were strong enough to actually destroy them or not? That was never asked of them. When you start weighing yourself up against the opposition, rather than weighing God's word, then you're always going to get stuck in weakness and in doubt. And you're going to live in fear. It goes on in verse 32, and he says, And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Everybody say bad report. So these ten spies that didn't believe that they could they spread a bad report. Now, if you go back and you read this passage and you read what they saw, you're not going to read anything about a bad report. You're not going to hear anything about bad news because it wasn't bad news. It was their perception. And fear will turn good news into a bad report. Right? Come on. Fear will turn Good news into a bad report. Hey, congratulations on your job. I heard you got that promotion. You got a new job. Man, that's awesome. And we say, well, yeah, but now I'm going to have to work more hours. And, man, I got so much more on my plate. And it's going to be so stressful. I'm, I'm trying to tell you congratulations. I'm trying to say, hey, good news, good report. And you just turned good news into a bad report. Well, I mean... Yeah, thanks, man, but it's going to be so hard. I'm going to be away from my kids more. I'm, I'm not going to see my family as much. It's just going to be real stressful. Well, I appreciate what you're saying. No, I'm trying to be polite. I really don't care. Now, now I really don't care because you just, I can't even handle you. Y'all know those people? Y'all want me to start calling names, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm just playing. But we do that, right? Don't we do that? We turn good news into a bad report. Verse 32, it says, they spread a bad report. There are some people that I can't even ask, and this is the gospel truth. I can't even ask them how they're doing anymore. Because I know what I'm going to get. <laughs> I'm going to get the next two hours of bad report. And I'm just trying to love on them and just say, hey, man, it's good to see you. How are you? And I know for the next two hours, it's going to be everything that can go wrong, has gone wrong, will continue to go wrong. They're never going to make it out of this. And we don't know why God's abandoned us. We don't know what's going on. Now it's causing our marriage to fall apart. We don't even like each other anymore, right? And, and I'm not exaggerating. That's the truth. Because some people just have to hold on to that bad report. Listen, I came to ask you today, do you have a good report? Come on, somebody say, yeah. Do you have a good report? You have a good report. And there is enough bad news already happening in the world today. And what God needs is somebody. God needs a people. God needs a church. God needs somebody that's going to stand, stand up and proclaim good news. That's going to proclaim good reports. That will take bad reports and turn them into good news. Because it is great news. God's looking for the believer with the kind of faith that can take Whatever bad situation is being talked about, you know some of those people too, don't you? 
that no matter what they're going through, you don't hear them really talk about how bad it is, but they talk about how good God is. That's the kind of people that God is looking to raise up inside of this house, inside of this church, inside of your community. God is looking for someone in the midst of all the negativity that's going on that somebody will begin to proclaim a good report. Because listen, your story has already been written. It doesn't matter what you're going through on the journey. The end is still the same. Your story has been written, and all of God's promises are yes and, come on, yes and amen. Let it be so. Let it be done. So let me clear this up. The news is not the report. The news is what happened, but the report is what you make of what happened. Okay? The news is not what happened. But the report is what you make of what happened. The news is the issue. The report is your interpretation of the issue. I don't always have to have good news to have a good report. Okay? I can have some things go wrong in my life. And let me tell you, things go wrong in my life. And, and I, I would hope that if I brought Shelly up here this morning to say this, she would tell you, I, I do live this at home. We've, we've had some bad things happen just in the last week. We've gotten some bad reports. We had a, a, an email that came through a couple days ago. And it, it, it took us both by, by storm. And... My response to that email was, hey, it's not happened. We're going to believe this. This is what we're going to believe. And we're, it's going to be more positive than what we think. We're not going to dwell on what we think might happen through this email because it didn't tell us. It just alluded to what could happen. We're not going to dwell on the possibility of what could happen, but we're just going to believe that that's not it. And we're not going to hang on to that. We're going to believe good. And we're okay, right? It, and that's what I try to live, and that's what I want to live. Because listen, I don't want to live in bad news. I don't dwell on bad. I don't like bad news. And I, I'm not oblivious to it. Like, I don't pretend that it doesn't exist because there's a lot of crappy things that have happened to us. There's a lot of bad things that have happened to me. But I don't have to dwell on it. It doesn't have to change what I believe because I can take whatever happens and I can turn it into a good report because I know that my story is already written. I know whose I am. I know who I am. And no report can change that. No report can change that. The psalmist goes on. He writes in verse number six. He says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. And they will have no fear of bad news. I wish that verse said, the righteousness will never be shaken, and they will never have bad news. Right? Wouldn't that be the way the psalmist should have wrote, written it? But he knew better. We will have bad news, but we don't have to fear bad news. Listen, when your security, when your hope is just anchored and just attached to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
there's not much that can shake you. There's not much that can, that can move your foundation. That's what I wish it said, but instead it says that we might get bad news, but we don't have to be afraid of bad news because our faith will enable us to give a good report even in the midst of bad news. Listen, I hope this is helping you change the way you're thinking because I can't change your situation, but I can help you this morning learn how to be a Joshua and a Caleb, and I can help you stop looking at the things with glasses half empty and start to look at things glass half full. There were 10 that saw bad news, bad news, bad news, and because of their perception of what they thought it might be, they never, ever, ever got to enjoy the benefit that God had promised them because they couldn't see God's reality through their perception of the negative. The news you receive is not nearly as important as the report you believe because the report you believe will determine the future that you experienced. Listen, and what those spies should have known and they should have remembered when they went over there and they spied out the land, they should have remembered this. Listen, that God promised his people that land over 170 times in Scripture. Over 170 times it was repeated over and over and over and over. God said, the land that I have given you, that's past tense, the land that I have given you, the land that I have given you, the land that I have given you, you're not there yet, but I have already given it to you. You can't see it yet, but I have already given it to you. You may not feel it already, but I have already given it to you. Why? Because it's a good report and your story has already been written. Little did they know when they stand there on the banks looking across into the promised land that the story was already written. Man, if they would have really thought about that, that would have given them the courage that they needed to cross over. Exodus chapter 3 verse 8. One more thing I want to show you. When God was talking to Moses before they ever got to the promised land, He's saying, look, I've, I've seen my people. I've heard the cry. In verse 8, he says this. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land into a good and spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezrites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Listen, do you see that? The Canaanites, the Hamites, all the enemies, all the enemies that they ended up running from were the enemies that God had already overcome to write their story. Not one amen. That's okay. Listen, all the enemies that they were running from, God had already defeated so that he could write their story. Okay? They were about to walk into a place, walk into a, 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 a country, a land that was full of their enemies. And little did they know that God had gone before them because God goes before you and he sets it up. He goes into your future and he sets up because God has already written your story. He goes before you and the battles that are so big and so great that we can't even imagine accomplishing. God goes in before you because he's already written your story this must be when Jesus gives that speech he's hanging on the cross and he says father forgive them for they know not 
what they do. I always thought that maybe that was, he was saying, God, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. They don't know how big a mistake they're making. But they did. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were trying Jesus as a criminal. They knew that they were putting him to death. They knew that they were going to bury him. They knew that. But I think what Jesus meant was what they're doing, what they think they're doing is trying to bring death. But what they don't realize, what they're actually doing is bringing life. What they're actually doing is bringing life and life more abundantly than anyone has ever known in their lifetime. What they're actually doing is bringing life that is going to be so full and it's open to everyone. A full life. You see, the enemy, he's, he's trying to bring death in your life. But whatever that lens is, that lens of faith becomes the very thing that makes you stronger. And it helps you to overcome. Just like the two spies. Probably Moses' biggest mistake was that he involved too many people in his decision-making process when they were trying to decide whether to cross over or not. Too many people. Jay, could you help me this morning? Too many people were... There were, there were 10 spies spreading a bad report, and people started buying into this bad report, and Moses started listening. Too many people got involved. They refused to go in. Then Joshua, Joshua, one of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, one of the spies, he takes over for Moses, and Joshua begins to lead the people in. But why does Joshua lead the people in? Why? Because he believed. He believed the good report. He saw the same situation, but he believed the good report. Joshua 2, verse 1. This is when Joshua's getting ready to lead the people into the promised land. Before he leads them in the promised land, he says, says this. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly, everybody say secretly, secretly sent out two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Period. <laughs> That's all he said. See, when Moses told him to go look at the land, Moses said, hey, check out the soil. Check out the cities. You know, check out the trees. They have trees. And check out, I want to know everything. Joshua, when he goes in, he says, hey, go over there. I want you to check out especially Jericho. Why? Because Jericho was the first city that they were going to come in contact with. Jericho is the first city that they were going to have to face. Jericho is the first city that they were going to have to destroy and defeat. One thing at a time. Joshua was looking at one thing at a time. Let's just focus on the next step. I'm not worried about the grapes. I'm not worried about the size of the grapes. I'm not worried about the Canaanites way over there. I'm not worried about the Hittites way over there. I ain't focused on What I want to know is when we cross this, we're going to face Jericho. I want you to get a good look at Jericho because that's the first thing that we're going to destroy. We can't walk by sight. We got to walk by faith. So go check out Jericho. We're not going to focus on everything else. We're not going to focus on the Ittites, the Jebusites, the Hizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Cellulites, or whatever ites are out there. So we're not going to focus on that report. 
We're not going to focus on something and psych ourselves out of going in. We're at a place right now where we're ready to move. And I don't want to think about all the other giants in the land. I want to think about one city. we got one, one obstacle in front of us. See, I think maybe if we would begin to practice that and we would just think about our next step, you know? We face problems. I'm not saying we don't face problems. But what's the next step? We don't, need, we don't have to worry about all the other things, okay? That, we don't have to face that. Our story's already been written. I don't know how it's going to happen, but my story's already been written. But I, I have to make some decisions about what I'm about to face. What I'm about to face, it's a big deal. And it sounds like bad news, but I'm going to turn it into a good report. So let's just focus on that. If, if we begin to do that, that could be life-changing. But notice what he says at the beginning of the verse. It says he secretly sent out how many? Two. Joshua secretly sent out two. He didn't send out 12. He sent out two spies. You only need two. Right? You only need two. Well, what do you mean? I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Listen, when David was writing in, in Psalms 23, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of bad news. Right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of bad news, of death, I will fear no evil. Why? He says, For you are with For you are with me. All, it, all you need is to for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before, the, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. And so, yea, though I walk through the valley and I'm surrounded by bad news, you are with me. You are with me. That's all I need. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what the president says. I don't care what the governors are saying. I don't care what the doctors are saying. All I know is that in the middle of my mess, I don't have to fear bad news because you are with me and you have already written my story. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. I am so full of good things. I am so full of life that I can't even see straight. Why? Because you are with me. That's all we need. You are with me. We stand this morning. You only need two, two spies. You only need an awareness of two things. Whether my situation goes or my situation stays, surely the goodness and mercy of God will follow me all the days of my life. And since it's following me, then I move forward. And how do I move forward? I move forward in faith. And I face the next obstacle that's in front of me because I'm not saying today you don't have obstacles. And I'm not saying today that you don't have bad news. 
We're surrounded by bad news. That's just life. But I don't have to live with that bad news being my reality. Because I know who I am. And I have to train myself. I have to train my tongue to speak life. Because you have the power of life and death in your tongue, in your mouth. You can speak whatever you want to speak over your situation. And that becomes the reality that you start to live in. It doesn't have to be God's reality, but it's your perception I've got a great God, I've got goodness, I've got love, and I am brave in my heart because I know that my story's already written. I know that my story's already written. I am so thankful that my story is written. And what's even better than that is I know the ending, you know? You know how easy it is to live life when you know the ending? When you know how... how the, the final chapter reads you know we've been Shelly and I have been at home we've been binge watching Netflix stuff you know somebody will be like have you seen this series we're like okay so we'll just binge watch it you know well we just finished the series and, and it ends and I'm like surely they're going to come up with another season so I'm googling to see if they're going to do another season because I'm like they just kind of left it hanging there you know and I hate that. I hate ending knowing, is that the end? Is that the end? Is that how it's going to Listen, in my relationship with God, the greatest thing I have is knowing the end. And my story's already been written. And your story's already been written. So when you wake up tomorrow and you become a reporter and you start gathering evidence, you go to work, you have to gather evidence, you're hearing people give you their versions of life or the world or whatever. Just remember, you have a good report. Paul said whatsoever things are true, just, righteous, pure, praiseworthy. He says meditate, dwell, obsess about those things. Obsess about those things. Father, I pray right now Jesus, God, that we will be become a people who are not cast to and fro, like Paul writes about, carried about with every wind of doctrine and the cunning of craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes in which they lie and they wait. God, but that will be strong, that will be steadfast steadfast in our understanding first of who you are and because of who you are, who you've made me to be who you've created me to be, God and all the gifts and the powers and, and, and the things that you've bestowed upon me God you said that I, I'm a joint heir with Jesus God you said that that same spirit that that raised Christ from the dead, it lives and it dwells inside of me. And, and as the psalmist writes, that, that we should have no fear of bad news. God, when I have an understanding of who you are, and when I have an understanding of what dwells and lives on the inside of me, there is nothing 
that can shake my faith. Bad news is going to come. Bad news is going to happen. But it's what I believe. It's the report I believe. And so, Jesus, I ask this morning, for those that may be here and those that may be watching, that are going through their own seasons of, of just bad reports and negative, negative things just surrounding them. God, that they're questioning life. They're questioning life decisions. Maybe they've even begun to question their own relationships. But God, I'm asking right now that you just begin to put a gentle reminder in their hearts of who they are. The power that dwells within them. The power to choose and understand the life that you've called them to. That they would believe a good report, Father. God, and we just give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said a big amen.